We had a decision to make. Do we spend our political capital on going around trying to find people to blame, or do we solve the problem? Maybe the way to solve the problem is to hold people accountable. Do you ever wonder why history repeats itself? That scene was from The Report, a recent Amazon Prime movie with Adam Driver about covered up details from the War on Terror. I highly recommend it. This episode's not related to that movie at all, or the War on Terror, but we do talk about history repeating itself later in the episode, as you heard Annette Benning say in that clip. We'll also talk about quantum computation, how to change the world by changing yourself, paradigm shifts, and what makes Turkish breakfasts superior to merely slapping on some cream cheese on a bagel. You're probably wondering if we talk about coronavirus updates, but this episode was recorded before Princeton informed us about our transition to online classes. But rest assured, we will definitely be talking about coronavirus in next week's episode. In today's episode, enjoy listening to and learning from today's guest, Alkin Kaz, truly an intellectual and one of the most inspiring people I've ever met. He'll definitely have some inspiring words for you. In the meantime, stay healthy, stay informed, and keep things in perspective always. Welcome back to Peas in a Pod. Welcome back. I have Alkin in the studio with me. Hey, Susan. So Alkin and I know each other from... Not so old times. We met in the OA. The OA is Outdoor Action. Princeton people know what that is. But it's the week-long camping trip that we take before we start our semester in the fall. All the pre-freshmen. West Virginia was lovely. <laughs> yeah, we, we were on the glamping trip which was the one where we technically were camping, but we also had showers. It was great. I know, I know. It's like nature and, you know, all the things other than nature at one hand. So I wouldn't change any experience with that. Yeah, it was great. So let's just jump in. Let's talk about your perspective. Where are you from? Okay, yeah. So I'm from Turkey. I'm an international student here, and uh, that's my first year in the United States. So I'm a bit excited for that. I'm trying to get adapted to the culture to the overall language so for me the first semester was a little bit probably a little bit more harsher than the other domestic students because when you are trying to you know joke in your second language you cannot (laughs) joke it's like you are you need to know the culture you need to know the language at the you know most possible extent so that you can convey your emotions well but it was a bit hard, to be honest, but I'm getting used to it. I'm sure. I really admire how international students have to make that transition just because language is so fundamental to our learning. And it's crazy that you're still taking really tough classes and, you know. Yeah. Thanks, Susan. It never ends, especially <laughs> with the writing, Sam. You know? <laughs> Are you in that right now? Uh, no, I finished that. Luckily, <laughs> I'm happy with what I've done. So. Cool. I'm glad. Um, Anything else? What kind of high school did you go to? Yeah, so my high school was a STEM-oriented high school. In Turkey, uh, differing from the United States, we have these exams, high school entrance exams and university entrance exams. All of the nation takes that single exam once per year and, you know, tries to score a well score, good score to be able to, you know, go into the top level high schools and universities. It's a bit different than the whole application process in here. So my high school is a bit famous in Turkey in terms of the uh, STEM projects and opportunities. I was able to get into that high school. I prepared for physics Olympiads back then. I was a member of Turkish Physics Olympiads team twice during the last two years of my high school. And uh, with Olympiads and many other stuff uh, in Istanbul, and Istanbul is the largest city in Turkey with over 15 million population. It's huge. I mean, it's not easy to live there, but opportunity-wise, it's amazing when you compare to the different cities in Turkey. For example, I'm not from Istanbul directly. My hometown is another city in Turkey called Konya, but the uh, opportunities in Istanbul is really larger than even compared to Konya, which which also has a 1 million population in there. So it's incomparable. And because of that, I felt the need to share the science knowledge I had, I gathered in my high school. My high school was a STEM-oriented high school, but there was a lot of kids out in the Anatolia. Anatolia is the mainland of Turkey. 
and Turkey connects Europe and Asia. So Anatolia is the Asian part and Istanbul is the connecting bridge between Europe and Asia. Didn't you say that you scored the highest in your entire country for your national exam? Okay, so <laughs> I, I don't want to brag about that. <laughs> but uh, since the exams are somewhat important in Turkish education, we all want to say, yeah, we scored the best score, you know, uh, and the system is a bit complicated. At my time, we had two exams, and right now they only have one exam. The year before me, they had three exams. So it's oh, like wow, the okay. system always changed, and the notion of scoring the best score always changed. Yeah, I did score the uh, best available score in the exam I took, but yeah. I just wanted to say, because during our outdoor action trip, we do something called hometowns, which everyone has like an hour to talk about where they're from and about their life. Um, and I remember Alkins, we were, it was a great vibe. We were just sitting around. It was like kind of in the dark. It was at night. By the end of it, we were just all so touched. <laughs> I was so emotional. I don't know. It was very inspiring. So, yeah. I mean, when I think of what I have done in the high school, the most emotionally touching thing was the uh, support that I could give to the younger students who wanted to pursue physics Olympiads. You know, when you help someone to uh, be successful and when you meet them at the same exam you will also take, you feel somewhat, you know, weird. You feel so emotional. And I felt emotional as well. Me and my mentee, we cried each other. We cried with each other when we first met with each other. He, uh, we always used to text each other on Instagram. And, you know, he succeeded. He came to the later stages of the Olympiad exams. And it was, I don't know, it was more valuable for me than compared to my own achievements. And I would still consider that in that way. Being a mentor. Yeah, being a mentor is the most amazing thing that you could ever do. Right now, I am helping a couple of more students to, you know, in this informal mentorship kind of thing. And I still feel that vibe when they do something good. How do you feel about, just in terms of your perspective, how are Western perspectives compared to the perspectives okay, from so where you're from? In Turkey, I feel like we have this more Eastern perspective of collectivism. When something happens, we intervene for the sake of society and uh, public. Like, if there's a problem, then the first thing we we think of is generally about the society. And the, you can think of society as the neighborhood or, like, immediate family or the longer family, like, greater family. I mm. don't know how you call extended it. Extended family. Yeah, extended family. And uh, not about from your perspective at first we always think okay if i do this what the other ones would say or we intervene for the sake of the other ones it was a bit different for me when i first came here because i feel like when you do something or when you are concerned or when you are happy people here including me in the last couple of months to right. be honest we are like oh nice nice to hear that i'm so happy for you and okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a free-for-all yeah, free for all, you know, based on individuals. And it is so weird for me to get used to that. But I guess I am getting used to that. I have definitely heard of this difference between the East and the West because my grandparents. And there's actually a movie. Have you seen the movie The Farewell? No, I didn't. So it's has Aquafina in it. It's a recent one as the very first Asian woman to win a Golden Globe. But that movie is a great representation of eastern collectivism in the mm -hmm. sense that a lot of it is family oriented and you do things for your community there's a lot of sacrifice involved whereas here there's less of that and more of you're on your own yeah so for instance a late polling in turkey showed that uh, I cannot remember the correct number, don't quote me on that, but more than a majority of the population cares about their families at the first hand in Turkey. So our society is somewhat based on families and family values. So that also has good consequences and, you know, somewhat uh, worse consequences as the neighborhood pressure, as we call it. So overall... I don't know. I am still getting used to the fact that when you say hi to someone here, they don't, you know, uh, they say what's up and you say, hey, I'm fine. Thanks. And you and they just, you know, turn their back and go away. 
It's like <laughs> it's like so weird for me. And uh, also for many of the Turkish students I've talked with here, like they are like, yeah, they do it. And we all think, okay, I won't overgeneralize, but in general, we think that it is weird to you know not reply back when you say what's that up. is weird i don't know who you're talking to but that's rude yeah i, I don't know <laughs> i feel that vibe all over the place so all right let's move on to problem what's yeah. something that you believe should change okay so right now i see like we have a lot of problems at hand i mean climate change the refugee crisis you know For instance, yes, just yesterday, Turkey announced that they will open the doors for refugees to Europe. And right now in Turkey, we have over 3.6 million refugees. The number is huge. There are cities like Kilis, a Turkish city, where the Syrian population is larger than the local population. In the last decade, there has been a constant increase in that population as well. So uh, let me quote some numbers here from the latest refugees website and research. Between the ages 0 and 18, there are 1.7 million refugees, which corresponds to nearly a half of the refugee population. So that's huge. And I think that they will uh, remain in the country as well. But right now, for instance, Turkish public perspective about that issue is somewhat like, okay, when the war ends in Syria, they will go back to their homes. But I don't know if the war will end or not. We are slowly getting dragged into the war. And, you know, these problems are going on and on. And it has been a decade since the Syrian war started. And these things will continue probably one or two more decades. And three more decades, we are in the position of decision makers. So in our age, there will be like future problems of what uh, the current leaders didn't do about climate change. We need to deal with climate change at that moment, like in 30 years. So and also there will be future problems about developing technology and AI technologies and the preservation of democratic ideals like humanitarian ideals. Those are some quite fundamental problems. And I feel like as the leaders of tomorrow, we are not getting used to that kind of problems. I feel like we uh, need to develop ourselves at the most possible extent to be able to, you know, decide correctly and uh, find a way out of these future problems. So right now we are in a, a really lucky age so that we can you know try to see the future and prepare ourselves accordingly with the available technological resources like the internet there's like an immense amount of knowledge over the world that is open to access it's like amazing but i think that we don't make use of that much so my immediate concern my immediate problem that i try to address is as youth uh, will we you know continue the cycle where the decision makers of today make not so good decisions and uh, its results continue in the future and you know the cycle never ends will we continue that cycle or can we adapt to the current landscape and you know make something better than what our ancestors did I was reading an article about how we often choose to avoid or put off policies that don't directly involve today. So, for example, when you're pushing for a policy, something related to climate change, and there's organized coalitions for or against that policy, the groups that directly benefit from climate change policy, a lot of those groups haven't been born yet. Like you said, it's future generations. It's future unborn generations. Because of those unborn generations, the side that favors climate change policies is highly disorganized. But I agree, we can't be short-sighted. Uh, about that issue, for my social psychology class, which I will also discuss about the T section. What was that in P terms? Perrier. Perrier, okay. <laughs> so uh, in that social psychology class, we needed to read a popular science book. And I picked specifically the book written by an old Harvard, now UChicago econ professor and uh, Princeton psych professor, Eldar Shafir. The book was named Scarcity. And uh, they were arguing that if we feel like we don't have enough resources as we need, 
they argue that we automatically get into that scarcity mindset where the scarcity mindset can also have different things like poverty and loneliness and, you know, time management issues. All of these things lead us to get into that scarcity mindset and make us short-sighted in the terms of problems of today and problems of future. We get into the vibes of me now kind of problems when compared to the future problems. Not me later. Yeah, so the problem they cite is the problem of, you know, borrowing from future. As you know, when you are in dire need of money, you need to, you know, borrow a loan from the bank. And then you need to pay back the interest. And that goes on for a like long cycle until you get broke. So they quote about quote that and say, okay, we know that if we, you know, get that interest uh, rated loan, that we will be in problems. But why do we get that loan? So they say that uh, the scarcity mindset tunnels us into the problems of now. And since the problems of future are not included in today's tunnel, we just simply ignore them. So I don't know if they uh, thought about that in generalizing to overall societal values, because at the end, in the conclusion, they told about societal tunneling, which I don't know if they had any studies or not yet, because the book was written in 2013. That might be a truth about the society. As the society or individual basis, the decision makers, maybe we are tunneling into today's problems and, you know, just ignoring the long-term problems. As also we do in Princeton, like we tunnel into the grade that we will get into this year's course, but we don't think about what we will do in the future. That's a problem as well. I mean, when I, I didn't hear a single freshman who told me that, you know, they were uh, quite sure about what they will do in the future. We don't know. And in fact, we cannot know. Many of the uh, future research show that the future jobs, the future job landscape would be far more different than the current job landscape right now. And that's why I guess the problem at our hands is important because we need to be able to, you know, manage and deal with whatever thing that comes to our way. For that, we have a, we need to have a strong, uh, you know, background in many of the areas and maybe some expertise in the future valuable areas. But the thing about future, you know, uh, perspectives is that nothing is true about guessing the future because you only guess. There is no scientific facts. You guess with your best ability of the knowledge of the past. There is so much tunnel vision in college. I'm guilty of it. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> When I first came to the United States, before I came to the United States, uh, when I was thinking of applying to the United States, that was my immediate concern. I mean, I can learn the topics in anywhere. There is a, there's the Internet and there is the Amazon. So I can order the textbook or maybe, you know, read that textbook online. And there are open courseware stuff. You can, you know, learn the topics in anywhere, anytime you want. But the relationships you made here will probably last for like a couple of decades. I hope so. When we're 50 years old, we're not going to look back at our four years at Princeton and think about the minute nuances of our grades. We're going to be thinking about the people that we've met, the relationships we built. I know. I I wouldn't be concerned about the math linear algebra quiz <laughs> as I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, pitch. You kind of got into this, but how would you go about resolving or trying to at least change this mindset of short-sightedness? Okay, the problem is we all talk about short-sightedness, you know? You're right. We all talk about, okay, guys, you know, we need to make a change for the climate change. We need to, you know, uh, make the public aware or for any other problem. We need to, you know, do something. But what would we do? The basic solution to that uh, comes from the individual within. I feel like for the changes that we need to make, we need to change ourselves at first. And so I would like to quote Rumi, which also comes from my hometown, Konya, and we are, you know, proud with him. He's a philosopher. <laughs> He's a philosopher and a Sufi thinker. Sufi is a way of interpreting Islam. And I want to quote him about that issue. So he says, yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself. 
And that is my computer's background. I think we got to let that sit. Okay. So slate slowly. I really want people to hear this because I, I think this is a really powerful quote. Yeah. Yesterday, I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today, I am wise, so I am changing myself. The problem is the decision makers of today are not evil people or are not, you know, less qualified than we are right now as teenagers. They have their own problems as well. I mean, consider a future scenario where you would have your kids, you would have your bosses, and, you know, you will be in the constant struggle of your kids, and they will be, uh, maybe they won't like what you are doing, maybe they won't uh, see you as a good parent, and you will always feel that pain. And on the other way, in the job land, like in the world, you will have problems with many people as well. In all that problems, right now in the university, we are in an orange bubble, as we say in Princeton, right? Even in right now in university, if we cannot deal with uh, problems and if these problems also capture our minds and prevent us from thinking in long terms, even in the university, how do we expect people like the decision makers or ourselves in three decades uh, be in a greater position than the other decision makers of today? It's like, you know, somewhat impossible if you are not careful about yourself right now. So my pitch about that problem is to start from our immediate surroundings, maybe ourselves, our family, our friends, and try to change them in the uh, sake of good. So changing them requires changing yourself at first. You don't change them for something you see as good. You change with them. There's a difference between them. When I was volunteering for a science outreach project in Turkey, we, used, we always used to say that we don't teach kids how to do robots. We learn with them. So there's a subtle difference between two terms. You don't change people, but you change with them. And by only that means, I believe, we can, you know, achieve a better future because we all we can always discuss about what the current leaders do wrong, what the current decision makers do wrong and etc. But when we get into that position, what gives us the ability to just stop and introspect about what we have done and what we will do? I believe that that's an incredible, incredibly difficult task to do. And uh, I believe that for the sake of being ready for that, we need to start from now. And uh, by now, I mean considering your values, your thoughts in a deeper level and trying to, you know, understand the better parts of them by discussions with your other friends. But gold discussions, like not discussions for the sake of discussing, discussions with problems at hand. Uh, let me quote a bit, uh, operations research from that. So I guess it was around 1970s. Again, don't quote on me. Mm-hmm. I, I know I have a lot of studies in my, you know, uh, in the back of my head, but I cannot pull out the exact dates of that. So there was this study uh, which introduced the problem of wicked problems uh, in the area of operations research. So by definition, the wicked problems do not have a single solution. They can have multiple solution options and they all have pros and cons. So decision makers' problems are not so easy. You need to decide which cons you want and which uh, you know positive sides you want. And for that, you need to discuss. But for that, you need to discuss in a way to practice for the future problems as well as the current problems to find an answer for that problems and find a way of, uh, you know, practicing those answers. So this, when discussions only stop with the discussion part, that is not useful. Because, I mean, now we are in a uh, great bubble. We don't have too much concerns. But right now we can, we have the ability to discuss for the sake of discussing. But outside in the world, there might be greater problems and we might not have these have this opportunity, have this luxury to, you know, discuss for the sake of discussion. So I believe that starting from the immediate surroundings comes with goal-oriented discussions where we, you know, just start talking about some stuff and try to find a way that can implement the ideas that we discussed in our lives right now. 
that is not a common thing. I don't want all of my discussions to end with, you know, let's raise the public awareness kind of uh, action plan. If the discussion does not come with action plan, I think that it is not the best practice for the future problems that we will handle. Sounds like a diplomat. (laughs) I don't know. I'm an electrical engineer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you, though. I think a lot of the time, it's not really a discussion. It's complaining about people not doing their jobs correctly in in our minds. And then we're like, hey, let's just raise public awareness. And then we leave. (laughs) Yeah. But it's not productive. You're right. Yeah. So when you're discussing with people about the world and discussing itself is good, right? Like it's better than not. Uh Um, I think sharing our ideas with everyone's important, but always keep in mind that it's good to be goal oriented, like you said. I mean, being too much of goal oriented is not a good thing. You don't have the creative mindset, which comes with the free discussions. But I am saying, as you know, have some creative mindset on one hand uh, and uh, keep the goals at the back of your head. Because I I was lucky. I was in Istanbul and Istanbul is the intellectual capital of Turkey. And the high schools in Istanbul has many students from all over Turkey, which, uh, you know, succeeded well on the exams and uh, qualified on many fronts like philosophy, sociology. And within those discussions, I feel like everybody is concerned about the current state of affairs. I am quite happy by the fact that we are concerned because we want to do and we want to change something. And I feel like the ideas overall developed since the ancient times. We have a lot of ideas. I mean, I've talked about the, uh, you know, last Roman Senate. I mean, they were talking about possibilities of authoritarian regime under Sulla and after then under uh, Caesar. And the discussions in that parliament, I don't know why, but whenever I read those type of classic, you know, discourses, I feel like, okay, those ideas are really foundational ideas. And I don't know why I didn't know beforehand. It's like there are too many ideas that we don't know because we are limited by our, our our own ages. We live only for like 70, 80 years, hopefully, maybe more, maybe, I don't know if the technology develops ourselves, but we'll see. So we live for a limited time and we don't have the ability to learn everything that we could want to learn especially in math for example they usually uh, you know say that <laughs> the last person who knew all of the math was Leonhard Euler which lived in I guess 18th century so it is like there's an immense amount of knowledge then why do we have those problems at our hands like if there is enough knowledge then we should have been able to solve those problems that brings us the question of whether we practice the knowledge we had so if the bridge if there's no bridges between the practice and the creation of knowledge then that's a problem i want to be on the front of practicing the current knowledge to the daily lives of ourselves because initially i i born in a smaller city of turkey and with my family, we moved a lot from the uh, smaller cities to the greater uh, Istanbul. So it's like I had the chance to observe the people's mindsets. And I feel like when we discuss about, you know, philosophical things, societal things, okay, so well. I mean, in my city, I don't know your discussion. I don't know what you are trying to suggest to me. So I'm like in a tight position. I don't know what to do and I cannot, uh, I cannot, you know, hear what you are saying. So why are we doing this? I mean, what is the purpose of doing this? So in the future, and it comes to our, the other P, I guess we have for the passion. Mm-hmm. In the future, I want to be on the application of knowledge and technology side. That's why I wanted to be an engineer, not a physicist. Although physicists also do applied physics, and probably I will go from applied physics tracks like uh, energy research or maybe future quantum mm-hmm. computing or etc. I feel like the application of knowledge is essential, and even then. With the application of knowledge experience I will have, maybe I can further uh, focus into decision-making process if I have the ability to do 
if I don't have and if someone else can do it, then I'm willing to, you know, let them do it and uh, cooperate with them for the sake of better humanity and better world. Anything else about this passion? So yeah, this summer I will be interning under Princeton Environmental Institute and Princeton Plasma Lab. And I'm so excited Is about that. Is that here? That. Yeah, it's here. It's here. It's not in this campus, but it's in the Forest Hill campus. Field. Gotcha. So the plasma lab is extremely famous. There are like a couple of different uh, nuclear research facilities around the world which are famous. And Princeton Plasma Lab is one of them. So I am so excited to go there and, you know, deal with the fusion reactors. Can't relate. (laughs) (laughs) No, really. I mean... uh, a problem of today is the energy problem. Why why do we have problems about climate change? I feel like part of this depends on the energy need as the society we have right now. Because, I mean, the microphone here, the computer here, they all depend on enormous amount of energies. So we need to find that energy from somewhere. It's either renewable sources or it's the fossil energy sources. So I believe that the improvement of energy resources might be a key factor and I want to you know see if I want to pursue a future on that topic so yeah I just wanted to try it and luckily they accepted my application so I feel like over the clouds right now (laughs) (laughs) are you one of those people who say physics underlies chemistry and bio I mean my brother my brother (laughs) tells me every day he's like physics You think chemistry and biology is important? Physics underlies it all. So I think that physics really underlies it all. But that doesn't mean that chemistry and biology is not important. Right, right. You should just ignore them. (laughs) Because as I said, there is this matter of knowledge and the application of knowledge. So physics might give an insight to how the systems work, how the chemical systems work, how the biological systems and ecosystems work. But in order to be more on the applied side of knowledge, you need all fronts, scientists in all fronts. So I don't, uh, you know, like the saying which goes as, yeah, everything is physics, you know. I am not that type of person, but I still believe that physics underlies all of these stuff. And I am so happy to, you know, have some background in physics. Energy is definitely a huge problem in general. I mean, I was looking at charts the other day in one of my classes of the sources of energy that we use and it's crazy like the amount of coal and natural gas and petroleum it's insane i know i mean it's so easy to discuss problems without you know discussing your problems your immediate problems i mean i use i don't want to you know just overextend uh, from my knowledge there are experts in those fields but Personally, from my experience, if I don't close the lights, maybe it's a small contribution or maybe not. If I don't feel like I am doing enough in my small scale, then how do we expect a macro scale change? So uh, I used to play this strategic game called Age of Empires. Age of Empires? Yeah. A video game? Yeah, a video game. Okay. I guess it was by Microsoft. Anyways, it, it was published in 1999. And uh, it is known as the uncle's game because many uncles around the world, <laughs> you know, introduced the game to their <laughs> nieces and nephews. So my uncle also introduced me the game So in, when I was a small child. And in that game, in order to achieve, you need to both micromanage the resources and also try to, you know, find adequate strategies in macro level. So I feel like the... Uh, discussion between micro level and macro level stuff goes on and extends beyond my knowledge to the operations research areas but i still feel like when i when i try to apply that knowledge to my life if i want to be able to talk about you know future problems like we have this huge problem called the x problem or the y problem if i want to be able to do that i feel the need to you know work on that on my individual scale because if you don't work on that on your individual scale, and if you also, you know, complain about the problem, then it's like, I don't know, I find it inconsistent. I agree. Also, another option for me is to, you know, work in the quantum computation field. That's also quite interesting. We are having an increasing amount of technological devices uh, in each day in our lives. And 
the fueling force behind that used to be the Moore's law, as uh, people say. The law that basically says that the amount of computation power increases in an exponential way. And that is huge, as we can, you know, understand from our daily lives. But it is uh, expected to be uh, finished in the short term. So uh, people are into many different computation paradigms right now. And one of those is the quantum computation. Initially, the idea was started by Richard Feynman. And uh, Feynman is a Nobel uh, awarded physicist. He's, they call it the teacher of all teachers. I do know him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) He uh, said that, again, don't quote me on that, but in one of the conferences, he says that nature is quantum. And in order to simulate the nature, we might need a quantum computer, like quantum-based computer. Right now, the computation uh, is based on digital systems where you have ones and zeros. And if the audience are interested, they can, you know, just Google it up and see. But basically, quantum computations might provide another computation paradigm, which will increase the amount of uh, computation in a huge extent. So it is a promising field. And experts uh, believe that in a decade or two, it might have prominent effects in our, you know, progression of computational power. So I might also go into that area. Right now I'm undecided. Or maybe I will go into the software engineering industry. I don't know. It's the freshman year. What can you say, you know? That's kind of scary too, how in the future or possibly the near future, our speed of information will go off the charts. It will go past what we are used to, which is already so fast. I know. I feel like the speed of information right now is even so fast than we can apprehend. And it will be even faster in the future. So uh, many experts on the field uh, talk about a possibility of technological singularity where the uh, possible technological devices and the AIs would, you know, dominate the landscape of uh, decision making and the uh, we cannot catch them because they are even faster than us. So it is a widely uh, discussed idea. It is not, uh, you know, fully supported or fully denied. But even the, you know, possibilities of those remote futures ignites me to come here and talk with you about how we should, you know, uh, prepare ourselves for the future which lies ahead of us. I'm glad it does. (laughs) Moving on to the Prince and P, do you like it so far? How is it going? I love it. It's amazing. I mean, uh, so far, I really had a fun time. Although the first couple of months were a little bit difficult for me to, you know, be adapted. I am loving it. The opportunities here are amazing. I know a lot of friends back in Turkey. I mean, I know a lot of friends who would be here and, you know, who would make use of those opportunities. And I feel like I am being here. And when I think of all of my friends I had in physics Olympiads, like all of the passionate people and in many scientific outreach projects and the other stuff, I feel like when I'm here, I shoulder the responsibility of doing the best I can do in here. And I am not, you know... I am not overchallenged by that. I am so happy that I have this, you know, feeling yeah. of responsibility, which, you know, fuels me toward, which helps me wake up early in the morning, especially when I pull kind of all nighters <laughs> as I'm trying to finish my P-sets or other stuff. <laughs> so if you're listening to this, don't take for granted the education that you're getting at Princeton or any other school. People don't get that opportunity. I know. I mean, it is so easy to be lost on daily stuff, as we talked like a couple of minutes ago. But I mean, I am grateful because the only concern I have is the, you know, daily struggle in Princeton. There might be larger problems in uh, other people's lives. And I consider myself lucky to be able to, you know, focus on what I need to do. So that's an incredible, you know, opportunity. Because there are many passionate people around the world who tries to do something, who, you know, wants to achieve something and change something, and they don't have the available resources. And when I hear people complaining about what problems they have in Princeton, I feel like, okay, 
those are still problems. I don't want to, you know, underestimate the impacts on you. And they probably have a lot of impact. But still, there are like greater problems outside of the bubble. Just, you know, do what you need to do and try to uh, at least change yourself. If you cannot change your family, change your friends, at least change yourself for the, you know, better, for a better yourself. I'm sounding like personal coach, but... (laughs) (laughs) You really are. You are here for a reason, as people say, as the admissions officers say. (laughs) And it's better if you make use of the opportunities. So before me, we move on. Life hack. I mean, you asked for me whether if I had any life hacks or not. I do have a small life hack. I don't want to talk about which occasion I learned this, but uh, if you use a coin for the inside doors, which are locked, you can open them. For example, if you are locked in your quad, when you are in your common room and for the uh, private room, when your roommate locks you out, you can use a coin to open the door. And it's easy? It's easy, yeah. Just turn <laughs> turn it. Because, I mean, it is quite easy to get locked out, as I experienced twice. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, cool life hack. I've not heard that one. Yeah, yeah. 4 a.m. I called the P-Safe. P-Safe tells me, yeah, use a coin. <laughs> so, P-Safe told you. <laughs> That's funny. I mean, I was locked out. I banged the door for like five or ten minutes. And my roommate, yeah. he was, you know, sleeping. He was hearing nothing. All of my other roommates woke up and I was like, okay, well, you know, time to do better. Yeah, I was like, wow, coins. So that was in my second time. The first time my hand was not so good. I mean, like knocking the door for like straight 10 minutes is not the (laughs) best thing that you can do with your hands. (laughs) Pursuits. What is something that you want to do when you grow up? Okay, as I said, I want to be in the development of technology and the applications of technology. So an immediate consequence of that would be in academia or maybe in, you know, corporate world as an R&D engineer. And maybe if I uh, accumulate enough experience to, you know, learn about the insider stuff in the industry, I might, uh, you know, uh, go upwards and come into the decision-making processes, maybe in the smaller scale or larger scale. I don't mind, but I want to, you know, be in the position where I feel like I am doing something for the better sake of humanity. Bucket list? A trip to California. How many states have you been to? West Virginia, New Jersey, New York, Pennsylvania, Connecticut. So not the West Coast. Yeah. It's going to be a culture shock. I am used to culture shocks. (laughs) All right, puzzle, something you never understood. Okay, as I told you, uh, I don't know why, although there's an immense amount of knowledge, I don't know why the current rhetorics repeat the ones in the historical, you know, texts. I feel like when I'm reading the old ancient Greek texts and, you know, the classics, I feel like, okay, those are nice discussions. But why don't we, you know, in the current discussions, I mean, we are not aware of them. It is so weird for me that as the humanity, we already discussed many of the stuff. But we still continue on discussing the same stuff. I feel like, I don't know, I feel it's a weird thing. I don't know if it's a good thing or bad thing per se, but uh, it is a puzzle for me. And I hope my lifetime will help me to understand. The that history repeats itself. Yeah. That's a big one. All right, Perrier. Okay, as I told in my social psychology class, it was kind of famous lately in our campus. I don't know if you heard of that issue, but a guy totally naked, only with his underwear, he stands up in the lecture hall. He shouts out, it's all a dream. Ah, I... it's all a dream, he says. And we all stop. We look at him and he's like, it's all a dream. And he just slowly moves up in the lecture hall and exits the lecture hall. It was a weird moment to, you know, experience. Was it related to your social psych? No, lecture? it wasn't. I heard okay. that it was related to uh, some eating club related stuff but i don't know <laughs> that's I don't probably know. what it was yeah. that was definitely what it, it was it was so funny <laughs> okay so the p that um you didn't prepare for him oh okay i'm ready peculiarities about america and what i mean by this is after coming to america weird habits or weird 
customs, weird little things that you've noticed that you would never find in Turkey? That's a hard question. Let me think. Of course, there are a lot of different stuff, different cuisine. Maybe I can talk about the differences between Turkish breakfast and the United Do States that. breakfast. I'm Maybe curious. European breakfast. I don't know. So in Turkey, we have great breakfasts. You know, we just, you know, fill all the table, especially in the weekends. If you are well off, you have the resources to do that. You just, you know, even if you don't have your resources, even if you are uh, in a small city or village, since you are a farmer, you know, you have your own tomatoes, you have your own peppers, onions, and like uh, milk, cheese, eggs, like any of the stuff you can imagine. You fill out all of the table and, you know, start eating, eat for like a couple of hours, have a great, you know, uh, talk with your family and maybe friends. So the breakfasts are really huge. In general they're the biggest meal uh, i mean uh, not the biggest meal but it is certainly uh, larger than a mere bagel <laughs> so uh, we don't eat too much sugary things except gems and the uh, honey we we usually eat you know salty stuff and you know, it's i mean for breakfast i still cannot understand the logic behind eating you know sugary stuff it's like a bit weird for me i i still cannot adapt to the breakfasts in the united states that's a problem favorite breakfast dish cheese like feta cheese kind of cheese and pepper inside bread interesting and maybe possibility of tomatoes this is the amazing i mean i feel like whenever you are on whenever you are traveling you you know uh make yourself a nice sandwich of cheese and you know some vegetables and then you know go to your way and eat that sandwich and i i don't know why but it is so satisfying for me and it was also so satisfying for my mother when when she was in her university years as well so i feel like you know that's one of the best breakfast slash you know dish on the way do you like anything in american breakfasts I, I, of course, like anything. I mean, I I love eating, so... <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, yeah, I, I don't mind eating, you know, stuff. I try, I'm open to trying new things. And, you know, for Physics Olympias, I've been to a lot of countries. I've been to Vietnam. I've been to Australia. I've been to Israel, Russia, Kazakhstan. Like, there, there was a lot of different cuisines. And, you mm. know, my friends... Uh, joked about how I eat when I didn't lose any weight in Vietnam. So, you know, the uh, food cuisine is different between Middle East slash Turkey and the the, uh, Asian, I mean, Southeast and Eastern Asian uh, countries. So my friends, when we went there, uh, they couldn't adapt to the food, but I was like totally comfortable. You know, whatever they bring us, I would just You're not eat a picky that. eater. No, no, I I just eat whatever I can find. The logic behind that is that, you know, if people eat that and if people are okay with that, if they don't have any problems, then why shouldn't I eat that? Like, okay, let's just try it, you know? <laughs> so my friends joked about uh, how I didn't lose any weight traveling because they lost a lot of weight. They couldn't <laughs> eat much stuff. I mean, dragon fruit was probably one of the best best fruits that I've I ever never had. Eaten. Dragon fruit. Dragon fruit. It's it's weird. It's like kiwi. I yeah. love kiwi. It's like the white version of kiwi. Okay. It is you know juicy. It doesn't taste. At least for me, it didn't taste like anything. It's like juicy, and it's a nice companion to breakfast. Let's move on to the peas that you chose for yourself. Okay. Number one, you said paradigm. Paradigm, yeah. So it's a you know hard discussion. In scientific improvement, the science historian Thomas Kuhn. So he says that the improvement in uh, science comes with paradigm shifts. It's not linear per se, but it comes with you know people pursuing a current paradigm like quantum physics for instance and when uh, that paradigm uh, cannot improve anymore they got into a state of panic they try to you know find other paradigms and once a paradigm which sits which fits the experimental data can be found they move on to the next paradigm so right now the 
again, the, this, this uh, idea of paradigm shifts are also heavily discussed. And I guess the current understanding is that the progress in science does not come like in step-by-step fashion as Khan argues for paradigm shifts or not in a gradual, you know, a linear increase, but it's like somewhere in between. And I feel like the discussions and the creative mindset is important because it leads you to, you know, have some paradigm shifts when needed. Even in ourselves, I feel like when you try to change your mind about some small thing, you need to have your own paradigm shift as well. You are thinking about some situation in one, you know, perspective and you need to change your perspective to see the other side of the situation. So I find this idea well applicable to many of the daily life issues that I want that's why I wanted to include the paradigm shifts before this discussion I only knew that paradigm shift was something about the way that you think and how it changes so are you saying that paradigm shifts are more of like a stark change in thinking just from yeah so uh for instance as they generally talk about what Einstein did I mean Einstein we call it Einstein, but Einstein, okay, let's call it <laughs> Einstein, uh, as Einstein did in uh, relativity. So some experiments did not fit the reality, like Michelson and Morley's interferometer and some other experiments. Anyway, so uh, the idea of the limits of speed in the universe was, it was controversial because, I mean, it is weird to have that after all of the scientific development we had in the 19th century so that was a paradigm shift and also i would plan to talking about planck max planck he was an also that's your second p yeah second p he uh, also introduced the quantization of energy uh, which was also quite fundamental by that idea change he was able to fit the theoretical explanation of black body radiation to the you know theoretical reality he changed the theoretical basis of arguments to you know find a new result for the theoretical formula and then it fit the experiments so i he was the quantum guy nobel yeah, yeah prize the quantum winner. guy yeah he he got the nobel prize and uh, yeah so i feel like many of the I mean, when we talk about, when we learn about these stuff, I had a history of science class in my first year in high school. And, you know, we used to talk about how science improved in different civilizations and that and this. But if you don't make use of the knowledge of history you have in your, you know, current life, then uh, I don't know why you would, why spending time with history necessary as being not practitioners of history. You know what I mean? If I'm not practicing history, then why I did learn many of these stuff in my high school years? Well, the thing about history is that, for example, the history of science is what you're talking about. When you learn the history of science, I think you learn things that now you don't need to learn on your own, right? That's one thing. But my history teacher in my high school used to always say that uh, history is meaningful as long as, you know, you incorporate it in your daily life and decision making. Right. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm just following my, you know, teacher's lead. Nothing else. <laughs> okay. Not a profound idea. I'm just trying to, you know, do what needs to be done. Third P, pineapples on your pizza, yes or no? Um, hell no. <laughs> Except the fact if they are with chocolate. I love chocolate pineapple pizza. What in yeah. the world? Yeah. Chocolate pine. So you're a no to pineapple pizza, but you're a yes to chocolate and pineapples on your pizza. Yeah, it hides the, you know, saltiness of bread, the chocolate. I feel like, you know, chocolate, pineapples, all right. I all have the way. never heard of such a thing. Wow, <laughs> I have to try that. Yeah, you should. All right, pro sports. Okay, so last week there was the, I don't know when will this be aired, but like a couple of weeks earlier. Uh, this will be aired in two weeks. Okay, I guess then it becomes three weeks. Yeah, three weeks earlier we had this, you know, eternal rivalry match football game in Turkey between two the most successful football clubs I mean by football I mean the soccer we don't play American football in Europe you know we, we call football right we have our own strange terms for things yeah yeah so uh, there's this competition between two teams uh, which dates back to you know like centuries I guess I mean they were found in the last century but the uh, team rivalries in the old city of Constantinople dates back to millennium so it's like there has always been a you know team rivalry and 
the current version of that is the rivalry between Galatasaray and Fenerbahce. So Galatasaray is in the European side of Istanbul and uh, Fenerbahce is on the Asian side of Istanbul. And some people call it the intercontinental derby because, uh, you know, two teams from two different continents, but they're in the same city. They, you know, play with each other. And that is a huge occasion in Turkish public. So we all care about how the match will be, you know, uh, will finish. And Galatasaray, the team I support, couldn't win the game in Fenerbahce Stadium for like 20 years, straight 20 years from 1999. I mean, after I was born, I didn't see Galatasaray winning in Fenerbahce Stadium. They couldn't win at all. So uh, three weeks earlier, we won with three uh, to one goals and it was like a huge thing for oh, us. Sure. So, <laughs> it, it, it was an interesting occasion to see. I'm glad that I experienced that, you know, I, I was like, oh, finally. <laughs> That's like when for me, LeBron James won with the Cavaliers. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very different, but I'm with you. <laughs> no, no, one is on the scale of, you know, NBA and the other one is on the Turkish football league. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, very different. <laughs> That's cool though. Philosophy, we already we, talked we already about this, but this was that. the yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I'm wise, so I am changing myself. I think that goes back to sort of like a micro view of things. Um, you can't change the world in a day. Rome wasn't built in a day, etc. So you start from the small. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can change the world in an exact level, but... It is far more easier to start on, you know, small stuff. On yourself. Yeah, on yourself. Okay. The 6P you chose was Prestige. Prestige. So, yeah, it also comes down to the uh, orange bubble discussion we had. I mean, there are a lot of people really qualified out there. And uh, living in Princeton can, you know, uh, bring some thoughts of, okay, we're in Princeton. You know, we are in the greatest place of all kind of feeling. And that is partly true, yes, but it doesn't uh, give you the ability to give you the luxury of, you know, slacking off things because there is this constant struggle in the, you know, uh, life. And even after Princeton, when it comes to the job applications and PhD applications or anything you want to do, there will still be uh, competition and probably, you know, uh, it will probably challenge the students in here as well. So it's like the matter of finding the, you know, slacking and the luxury of slacking and the, you know, responsibility of working for what you need to do. We need to find the balance between two. Don't slack off. Yes. I mean, slack off, but that might be the last years you can slack off. <laughs> be aware of that. Last P, you said push, which... It it's it's what gets you up so, in the morning. So, I mean, as I told, uh, I feel like I'm shouldering the responsibility of, uh, you know, the people who cannot get to here. And I feel like, you know, I need to do better for them in order to represent, not specifically my country, but all of the people who cannot come here. I need to make use of the opportunities and improve myself. But on a daily basis, you know, we can all get lost off, lost about this stuff. So when <laughs> I sleep at, you know, uh, 3 a.m. or 4 a.m. And in fact, when I was filling up the, you know, form that we prop are talking sheet, about, yeah. Yeah, the prop sheet, it was 4.35 a.m. So <laughs> I'm like, okay. I feel, When I wake up in the morning, I feel like, okay, Alkan, you know, you should have slept earlier. Now, uh, get up and own your mistake and do what needs to be done. I'm like, that keeps me pushing and pushing because, uh, I mean, if I slept earlier, then it would be far more easier for me. But I didn't sleep. That was on me. Decision made. I don't know if it was for the better or not, but the decision was made and, you know, own the responsibility which comes with it. It's never good to wake up and you know, ruminate over everything you've done wrong. Think about all your mistakes. Like, that's never good. Yeah, yeah. It's really, I find it really helpful to, you know, if you, uh, owning your mistakes, if you make them. Because otherwise, if you don't own your mistakes and, you know, uh, make the other people responsible for it, how would you develop yourself? You need to make mistakes. And it's so natural to make mistakes. 
And I feel like by owning your mistakes, you, you know, you can understand the reality at your hand so that you can improve upon that. The Houston Astros need to own their mistakes. Hmm? It's a baseball thing. <laughs> I know, I know. I just need, I needed to say that. Um, all right. Well, that is all. Thank you so much, Alkin. I am constantly blown away by everything that you talk about. The way that you approach everything is very... You're not short-sighted and you're constantly thinking about the consequences of your actions. You're constantly thinking about how to better yourself and better the people around you. So I think that's really inspiring. I am flattered, Susan. What can I say? Thank you. (laughs) All right. So today is February 29th. Just, I don't know, context for whatever could happen in the future. Leap day of the... Yeah, uh, today's a leap day. This will never happen again until in four years. Okay. Well, hope to have you guys back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Alkin. Any last words? I hope I didn't, you know, uh, overgeneralize some stuff or not. But I feel like we had a great talk and I believe that you'll enjoy our talk. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as well. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. I see quantum computers as a way for us to probe the mysteries of nature and reveal more about this hidden world outside of our experiences. How amazing that we humans, with our relatively limited access to the universe, can still see far beyond our horizons just using our imagination and our ingenuity. And the universe rewards us by showing us how incredibly interesting and surprising it is. The future is fundamentally uncertain. And to me, that is certainly exciting. Peas in a Pod is a podcast created and edited by Susan Beck. Our research director is Ali Rubenstein, and our executive producer is Alicia Somani. Peas in a Pod is not affiliated with Princeton University.